how's your, how's your guys' summer been? How was summer? What do you guys, it's not done, but uh, are you guys having a good summer? Yeah, yeah, I got some convincing yes. Some others. Anyone travel really far away? Did someone go to, uh, I, know that's, I know some people did. Um, anyone have a long trip? Anyone go somewhere far? You guys were in, oh, I know where you guys went. You guys were in Colombia. Yeah, really good. Yeah, it's exciting. Any other, any other big trips? What else? Yeah? Well, we know why. <laughs> so, yeah, my wife and I, we went, to, uh, we went to Alberta and we drove there with the three kids. So it's like it's a round trip about 9,000 kilometers. Um, but my dad, of course, has to one-up me. How far did you go? 10,000. 10, he went to China and Indonesia this summer. So he's just like, he's just one-upping everything. I can't. Anyway, I've decided to, not, to stop competing. Um, it's fun to travel, and it's fun specifically. Like our trip was to go see family, and seeing family is really exciting. Um, it's a chance to connect with people that we haven't connected with in a long time. It's been for some of them, it's been almost ten years since I hadn't seen some of my aunts and uncles, and that's that's exciting. You know, uh, you kind of you sit down and you and they, it brings back all these fantastic memories to see these people again, and you kind of get used to. Uh, well, you're not really used to seeing them, so it's it's hard to 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 think of what to say. Do you guys feel that sometimes when you see someone you haven't seen in a long time? You can talk a little bit, how are you doing? But at the same time, like, you, you don't know much about them anymore. It's hard to connect. Right? It's hard to kind of... But you really want to because you love these people and because you, you have these good memories with them. So you want to talk and you want to get to know them. You want to have that kind of connection. But it's hard to get that connection. It's hard to connect with people sometimes. I think we've all kind of, we all kind of associate with that. We all kind of have lived that in the past where we've tried to connect and it's been difficult. Uh, this week we were really privileged, and uh, my, I have a picture up here. My um, my brother, who lives in China, uh, brought his uh, his his girlfriend to come and, and meet our family, and uh, we were in New York State to go do that. And it was a really cool time connecting, and it was neat to to meet her for the first time and to get to know this this uh, this girl who who my brother loves, and and it's been just and it was just fun. The kids loved it. If you see my girls wandering around in cheap house, cheap house today, it's because they got it as a gift and they're really excited. And it's, it was a really neat connecting time. And uh, we all value connection. We want to be connected with people. We want to be connected to people. And and even here at Westside, we we really think that connection is being connected is something really important. And if you look at our on our website, we have like a, our missions and our values. It might be a bit small to see, but our mission at Westside is, is connecting people to a growing relationship with Christ and each other. We want to grow our relationships with each other. It's part of what we want to do. We want to connect with each other. And how do we do that? Well, we want to be a community of Christ followers experiencing profound transformation, embracing authentic community, engaging God's mission with life and purpose. And that's what we want to do, and that's how, who we are. And connecting is at the heart of that. So how do we connect? How, how, does, how does that happen? And, and to know how we connect... We look at Jesus, because Jesus is our example of how we're, we're, we connect. He's the one who shows us not only why, but how to do it. He's our example. And when we look at Jesus, often we look at his words, the things he said. But if we look at the way he lives, the way he interacts with others, we look at the how, we really know how, uh, how we are to live and how we can connect. So today we're going to look at a Bible story. We're going to look at a, a small section in scripture where we're going to he- hear about a time where Jesus connected with a person. And we're going to look at how he did that. And, and through when we look at that, I think it's going to teach us how, how we can connect with the people in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our networks, at our barbecue, um, 
and, and more specifically, how we can connect with God, because there, there's, there's a lot that we can learn from this. So before we're going to do that, I want to pray for us. So if we can just bow our heads and we'll, we'll uh, say a few words of prayer before we get started. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this place. Lord, I thank you for this body of believers who uh, um, wants to know more about you. I pray that in this story today, Lord, we'll feel like we're standing next to you, God, that we'll learn from Jesus. Help us be like his disciples at his feet, listening, learning, developing, changing. God, give me words. Lord, I pray that you will send your spirit on me and, and help me um, and help me share what you've put on my heart through this passage. And uh, Lord, we, we uh, pray at this in the name of your son. Amen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from my phone here, which just seems so weird. I have the, um, the version I have here for the text is the NRSV. So it might be different from the, the one that you guys normally use. So if you want to follow along, you can, but the words will be a bit different. But at the same time, we have it on the screen here. So you guys can follow, around, follow along there as well. This is Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to the end and, um, of the chapter, not to the end of the book. That'd be long. So 46. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. Is that a neat passage? Often when you read stories like this, we, we have this imagination in our head. And, and today, I think the challenge is going to be, I want to help you guys imagine what it was like in that moment, that crowd of people with the disciples, to see Jesus walking. He was going, he was going somewhere, and he was walking with people, and he was interrupted. There was an interruption. Sometimes interruptions come, and we don't like them. We don't like being interrupted. J- Jesus is walking with this crowd of people, and he stopped. And often when we imagine stories, we imagine like these kind of paintings that I have. I have one right up here. You know, we imagine this, 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 this scene with this beautiful scenery and Jesus stopping and the fancy dress. And this is, and you know, the 17th century kind of painting. Of, we have this very, like, um, um, we have this, you know, the Bible book images. We kind of have, that's what we imagine in our heads. But really, if we think of what it was probably like, it was probably hot like our summer days have been hot. And he was, you know, we've, you know how it is like to walk on those long, you know, go for a long walk on a hot day. You guys have probably done that in the past few weeks. It's been really hot here in Montreal. And you can imagine this crowd of people and they're leaving somewhere and going somewhere else. And you know what transit is like. They don't have cars. They're not stuck in traffic, but there's still lots of moving around. And you can imagine when you're walking with a crowd of people and you're going somewhere, you have a destination. An interruption is not normally the thing you want to have. Because, you know, it's like, you know, you're driving along, you get stuck in traffic, oh, that, that frustration builds up. And you can understand the crowd as they're walking. The, Jesus is walking with his crowd of people, with his disciples, and he, he has this interruption, and the crowd's like, quiet, 
Leave them alone. We're going somewhere. I think we understand that, that, what that's like. We have this, you know, we have this idea of, of, of you know, what, we want to be, what Jesus wants to be doing, and then something comes and interrupts us. You know, we, we know that feeling. And yet, the first thing Jesus does is Jesus stops. Jesus, and this is the way of Jesus. This is how he works, is he will do something that we do not expect. And part of us, I think, needs to really remember what this beggar was like. Beggars are people who do not work. I think that's the general definition that we use for beggars. And he's a man, this man, Bartimaeus, they say, he's a man who, um, can, who can not see anymore. He says, Jesus can't let me see again. So it's someone who once was able to see, but is not able to see anymore. He's someone who has lost his sight. So it's someone who once was a, probably a productive member of society who now no longer is. And this is a real person. For some of us, I don't, I don't know if any of you here are not all convinced about the legitimacy of Scripture, but this is one of those texts that if you're not sure that the Bible is a real book written about real things that really happened, this is one of those texts that help us. Because if you look at it, this was written, one of the first books written in the, in, in the New Testament. And I'm going to have one passage here that's right up here. And I put it in blue, certain sections. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. Why is this useful to know that scripture is true, that the Bible is real? Well, because if I was living back then and I wanted to double check if this was true, there's a whole bunch of evidence I could base, up, base my, my, my observations on. I could go to Jericho. That was a real place. It, is, you know, it still is a real place, but you, I could have walked over there and met the people that knew Bartimaeus. The guy was named by name. And they could be like, hey, you remember when Jesus visited? Wasn't there a beggar guy? And, and this was written so close to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that if I was very skeptical, I could have gone and verified this. And the fact that his name's written down is so significant because Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was probably someone they knew. Why would you put the name of a person if, unless they knew about him? In some ways, this guy was probably a disciple who still followed Jesus, and the people who were reading this book afterwards probably knew about Bartimaeus. Often in the Bible, you'll hear about Jesus helping a blind man or a rich young ruler or someone. The fact that his name is there means that this person is someone that the early church could have tracked down, someone they had heard about, probably someone who served as a missionary or a pastor or a leader in the early church. So this is a man who went from a blind beggar to someone of significance that people could have tracked down. And this is one of the most exciting things about Scripture is that because it's really real and these are real people, we, we sometimes, um, we sometimes you know, have this list of, well, Jesus healed this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. This is a person who the church remembers. And who they not only remember him, they remember his dad. And they remember where it was and when it was. And it's, I think it's really exciting. So because he's a real person, I think we can really, at the same time, put aside any doubts we have about what Jesus did here and just focus on what, what he did and why he did it. Why did he stop for this guy? I think Jesus, wasn't he doing what good stuff already? He was, in Jer- he was leaving Jericho. He had his disciples with him. He had a crowd with him. Who are, who are, who's the crowd? Who are the disciples? They're people who love Jesus, who are following him, who want to learn more. They're people with potential, people with a future. They're not damaged goods like this beggar. They're not someone who's, like, who's broken. They're, someone who's, they're, they're, they're people who, 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 are, who are worth investing in. They're, they're the quality people. 
I don't know if you've ever had, fallen into this mindset, but you think, you know, there's some people that God can really use, and then there's me. God can't really use me. We kind of, we sometimes fall into that. You're like, well, there's the people who, you know, have potential, who can be leaders in the church, people who can be, do amazing things, and then there's the broken, damaged people who have no potential. And I find that Bartimaeus probably, if we, had, if we were there with him, and we were one of the people in the crowd, we'd probably put him in category B, damaged goods broken people, not worth the time. And maybe for some of us, that's all you need to hear today is that, you know what? Jesus stops and he's stopping for you just as much as he stopped for Bartimaeus. Damaged goods means nothing to a God who can transform and heal. So what's exciting about this is that when Jesus stops for him, he's saying something about this person's value too. And you might have something in your life or in your heart that you feel is disqualifying you from being Christian, from living the kind of life that God wants you to live. You feel like there's part of me that God cannot use because I'm broken in this way. I'm damaged goods. Jesus stops for you. That's who Jesus is. I learned this in a really hard way. At one one point, I had a... I have a story that's, I think, really, really interesting. I, I, I used to think that um, this, and I think all of us are a bit prejudiced, and I, and I, and I kind of said, ah, I'm not like that. I don't think that way. But really, I do, because I remember a few years ago, when me and Stephanie were still living in an apartment, down the hall, there was a man um, named Brent. And I called him this week, so I'm allowed to tell the story, just to make sure that he was okay with this. There's a man named Brent, and uh, he's down, down the hall from me, and he's, uh, he's not kind of a difficult person. He's loud, just kind of like that beggar was loud. He was, he's a bit of a bigger guy. He's about my parents' age. He'd wander around the halls in like, te- like uh, wife beaters and short shorts. And, uh, and he would, um, whenever you'd meet him, he'd, he'd kind of just t- tell you these either gross jokes or complain about someone or something. And, and he really wasn't a nice person to get around, but I was being neighborly. I was being Christian. If he'd knock on the door and ask help moving furniture or opening you know, like pickle jars or whatever, we would do that for him. We were, we're being friendly with him. Um, he would offer candy to kids, which just seemed like really creepy. Like I didn't want him anywhere near my kids. I didn't want him anywhere near my, like I had, we had like a, an arm's length different distance. If I thought of people that I think had potential to join Westside and be part of the church and grow and spiritual growth, I did not think of him at all. And yet before one of our Christmas Eve Eve gatherings, David had preached about inviting people and God kind of put his name on my heart. I'm like, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> so I said, yes, of course, God, I'll do that if I see him. I put that qualifier. If I see him, I don't, I'm, what's the chance? It's already like Sunday, the thing's on Wednesday. The chances of me seeing him are so slim. It's not going to happen. So I put it, I put it aside. It's like, God, you know, I'm, I'm not going to see this guy. Um, the night that we're about to leave, or we're getting ready to leave, we're getting the kids dressed, someone knocks on the door. It's Brent. Sure enough. Opens the door. Open the door. I see him. Hey, could you come look at my TV? I go over and, and, and look at his TV. His TV's done. Just like my computer this morning is done, it's broken. God had broken his TV so that he could meet with me. And sure enough, I'm like, hey, you know what? I think you need to come to church with me tonight. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I think you do because God broke your TV because hey, I'm supposed to be inviting you to church tonight. <laughs> and he came. 
I don't know if you remember, he was the loudest person in this gathering. He would, he would, talk, he would make comments out loud. Hey, the music's really good. And then everyone, like, it was really funny. And at the same time, like, he enjoyed it. And it kind of really blew my mind how I had this prejudice about this person. And yet God was calling me to be with this person. And, and on top of that, after that, I had to have that mindset switch. I had to think, you know, well, maybe I need to hang out with him more. I do, some, I do another favor for him, and he offers me, hey, want a beer? I'm like, I'll, I'll take one, but I have to have it with you. Let's hang out and do that. So I went to his house one night, and we shared it, and we had a beer each, and we just kind of sat and talked about, um, talked about life and everything, and I got to know him, and we had a really nice time just chatting in his really grungy apartment. And, and it was really cool to get to know him. But then we moved and we kind of fell out of touch. I called God about a year later, God, I felt God putting on my heart to call him. So I did. And just so happens that his, his mom had just passed away and he was telling me about his life. And he was telling me about how he's having arguments with his sisters. And, and one of the comments he said, just offhandedly, he's like, you know, not many people know me like you do. You're one of my best friends. I had hung out with him once. Once I had earned nothing there. I feel like I did nothing, but yet I hung out with him once. I stopped for an instant, and when there was an interruption, I actually paid attention to that person and stopped, and it made all the difference to him. And I called him this week, and we just hit it off over the phone again. We're still connected. He might be at the barbecue next week if you see him. Don't say too much. No, I'm kidding. He's okay. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and you know, at the same time, like I, I, I think that this is a characteristic of Jesus. And it actually brought a question to my mind. And I have it up, up here too. It says, you know, what does it mean if we only help people who remind us of ourselves? And I think we easily fall into the trap of just hanging out and blessing and ministering to people who are like us. And the damaged goods, the people that are weird, the people that are awkward, the people that aren't popular, the people that are smell funny. These people, they're not like us, so we're not going to touch that. We're going to stay far away. That's not Jesus. That's not how Jesus works. What does it mean if we only help people that, who remind us of ourselves? It means that we really just love ourselves. We're not loving others. We love people who remind us of us. And we need to remind ourselves that love others is what Jesus asks us to do. And Jesus is the perfect example of that. The second thing Jesus does is when he does stop, he listens. Did you catch that in the passage? It says, what Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? I think often when we actually do stop and we have this broken person in front of us or we, you know, Jesus, uh, what we tend to do is assume, well, he's blind. He needs to be seen. He needs to see. Just heal him and move on. No, Jesus stops and he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? He asks permission. We have a God who's a gentleman who, and who will not force anything on anyone. I find, and, and you can talk to my dad about this, but you go all over the world, you have Christians who have these great ideas of how they can change the world and never ask anyone for permission. They never give anyone the time to, 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 to kind of, you know, they don't know what the problems are, but they think they know the solution already. But they're not really willing to listen. It's like arriving, and I was awful at this in CJAP. I would arrive, and I'd be like, hey, you need to know about Jesus. But really, he just wants to first know about me. And he wants to ask questions, he wants to know, and he wants to grow. But I had you know, the, 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 the arguments to bring out and stuff like that. And that's not how Jesus ever worked. Jesus listened. He got to know people. 
My wife, Sadula, she, uh, she has a word for it called, called holding the space, listening. It's where you give the person the dignity to speak and to talk about what's going on in their lives. And Jesus knows everything we need. We know that already. He knows the minute we, we were born, he knows what we need, but he wants us to ask. He wants us to pray to him. Maybe for some of us, we have these issues, we have these problems in our lives, we have these things we want to deal with. And one, either we didn't think we were worth it, or two, we've just stopped asking about it because we've given up. And this, this Bartimaeus is an example of someone who kept going despite the crowd saying, stop it. And when Jesus comes to him, he says, what do you want? So it's an invitation to come to him, to say everything that's on your heart to him to pray in a way that, that, that shows really what is going on in you. What do you need? What, God's asking you that. Jesus is asking that. What do you want me to do for you? And he wants us to be people that are like that to others, that hold the space, that listen, that let other people spa- speak what's on their heart without judging, without, without uh, um, being the people who are going to f- offer solutions right, right away. We're at, called to be listeners. Like Jesus was a listener first, even though he knew he wanted to heal him. And the third thing that Jesus does, and we, we see it right afterwards, is I, I, yeah, by listening to Bartimaeus, he, Jesus gives dignity, yeah. But yes, way of Jesus, the first, third thing he does is Jesus transforms him. And this is where the miraculous happens. And we know that the miraculous, the miraculous comes from God, and this is the power of God that changed this person's heart. But this man is changed in multiple ways. Yes, he can see again. The second thing about him is that he, he becomes not just some blind guy on the side of the street. He becomes Bartimaeus. And you can assume, and the last passage in the, in the last verse in the text shows that he goes from, from sitting on the side of the street to following Jesus. And this man becomes a disciple of Jesus and he's remembered because he probably became one of the, one of the leaders in the early church. So Jesus doesn't just transform and give him what he needs. He gives him more than he could have possibly imagined and changes who he is. He gives him dignity by listening to him and then makes him into the disciple. And what is a disciple of Jesus? It's a person who will stop and a person who will listen. So it, become, it comes full circle or for a full triangle, I guess. I, put a, I have a triangle available somewhere here and it, it shows a bit what Jesus does here. Jesus stops. Jesus listens and then he transforms that other person into someone who stops and listens. And the transformation continues, and we become, like Jesus, disciplers, people who will intentionally pay attention to others around us, love others. This is so crucial in so many ways. I find I miss up this so much as a parent. I don't stop enough to listen to my kids. As a neighbor, I feel like I, I, I miss so many opportunities to just be with people. As a person in church, I tend to keep things super superficial. I don't try to connect and actually do those first two things and see that transformation happen. At this barbecue, I know the temptation will be to, to just kind of stick with my bubble and hang out with the Christians that are there when really God's calling us to engage with the people that come and visit And that's, that's, I think that's life-changing to realize that this is who Jesus is and this is how he acts. But ultimately, and this is where I'm going to ask maybe the worship team to start coming up and getting ready. 
ultimately, before we start acting like Jesus, we need to remind ourselves of what Jesus did for us. And this is where I think it gets really personal. Because Jesus stopped for us. And just like that beggar, there was nothing so special about us that made him stop. Maybe other people have actually told us that, you know, like, we don't deserve it. But Jesus stopped for us. And Jesus is listening to us. And he wants us to, to speak to him whatever's on our hearts. Whatever, whatever sin, whatever problem, whatever thing is holding us away and making us miserable and, and holding us back. Jesus wants us to speak it to him. He's listening to us today. And Jesus wants to transform us. And we're going to transition from this into a time of worship. And we have, uh, the group has a few, few more songs, a couple more songs ready. And, and we want to really make this a time where you can come to Jesus. The verse that most stuck out to me in this passage was right there, what the crowd says to him when Jesus, finally, when Jesus calls him. He says, take heart. Prends courage in French is the, word, the way it's translated, and I love that. Take heart, be courageous. Get up. He's calling you. And that verse, I think, applies to all of us. No matter where we are this week, how discouraged we might feel about our Christian walk, what we might be, the lies we might have been told, telling to ourselves about how we, who we are and what we're worth, take heart, get up. Jesus is calling you. And now we're going to have a time of response. And I'm going to start by just praying for you guys and the music will start. And during this time, I would really encourage you to... to, to to pray and to, to ask, to, to realize who this Jesus is who's calling you and to allow Jesus to speak to you and heal you and just even listen to you and remind you of who he is and who he is making you to be. Lord, we thank you God by name for stopping when we didn't think you would for forgiving us even when we knew you shouldn't and yet you did Lord we have such a hard time even forgiving ourselves and yet you stop for us show us, Lord, our worth. You listen to us. You want us to speak our hearts. You want us to connect with you. Transform our hearts, God. And as a verse says to get up, I encourage you, church, to get up. He's calling you. Come to him in worship. Come to him and be healed. Come to him and be transformed by the power of Jesus.